Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the LB Performance Podcast with me, your host, Lawrence Bourne. On this week's episode, I'll be speaking to Shifra Clearig-Bootner, who is an Irish professional international middle distance runner, currently running under contract with Team New Balance in Boston. Shifra has competed in many high-profile events across the world, most notably the Athletics World Championships in 2017, the European Youth Olympics, the Penn Relays in her time in Villanova University, which to give people a bit of context is our version of the college and university varsities across different sports, and in her time in university she was also a seven-time All-American. We discuss how she got to where she is now, her pathway to getting to a professional contract in the US from our little proud country of Ireland, and some of her career highs and lows to date. Lastly, as always, we answer the listeners' questions. For myself, I used to run in the 800 meters and 1500 meters going back a few years ago. And the one thing I realized about the sport, like with any other sport, is that you definitely have to have the mix of both the talent and the hard work and dedication. Over the years and knowing Shifra through the athletics world and seeing her results and seeing her progress, it's great to see where she is now under a professional contract with Team New Balance. And we only wish her the best of luck going forward qualifying for the Olympics. As always, enough stalling, enjoy the episode, and I'll chat to you guys on the other side. On your marks. Set. Schaefer, welcome to the LB Performance Podcast. How are you getting on? Great, thanks for having me. How's training going at the moment now? And just for the listeners, just so they know, uh, first of all, who you are and where you are. Yeah, so my name is Schaefer Clary Booner, and I'm originally from Dublin, but I train in Boston with uh, Team New Balance Boston. Um, which is obviously group supported by New Bounce. But at the moment, we're in Flagstaff, Arizona for an altitude training camp. So um, we've been here about four weeks, going into our fifth week. We come here like twice to three times a year for a month at a time. Just straight off the bat then, when it comes to your training in Flagstaff specifically, um, in my own experience, the kind of programming for or programs for runners, um, there's a le- there's an element of progression involved in my own experience. Does that is that the same with you guys now in the camp that you're in? And would you be able to give me an example as to what kind of sessions that you do and how it progresses? So obviously when we come to altitude, you have to be a little bit more cautious because your body is going to get tired because you're fighting more, like there's less oxygen and it takes a toll on your body you have to sleep more and all that so for the first week we try and like kind of work into it and we don't really do a like hard session for the first five six days and then we'll kind of progress into it each week kind of do two hard sessions a week keep our mileage decently high but as I said like we have a lot of downtime just because it really takes a toll on the body being up at like 7,000 feet which is like just over 2000 meters. So, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely like something that we have to adjust to and just listening to the body and, uh, recovering and make sure we're eating enough, sleeping enough. So it's, it's pretty interesting. And then also when you come down from altitude, everyone starts to feel like good. So it's important the week after coming back down to sea level to be aware of the fact that you need to kind of take it easy again, cause you don't want to overdo it the first week and then be in a hole then for the next few weeks after going too hard. That's actually, yeah, that's super interesting. I never thought about that, kind of taking that downtime off, because I suppose if you went too hard at it to start off with when you came back down to sea level, it would probably do more damage in the long term than anything else, would it? Yeah, because like you obviously get back to sea level and your lungs are like, oh, I can breathe and your body's (laughs) feeling like great after the kind of boost from the red blood cells up at altitude. And then you come down and you get excited and you start to maybe like run a little too fast. You kind of almost have to actively pull your body back and just run a bit more within yourself rather than like 
getting excited because you can do more damage, as you said, for the next few weeks. How does the um, how does the, the the progression of the program work when you're at altitude? This time of year, January, we're still working on our strength and our like kind of endurance. We'll kind of transition into doing some track workouts because we'll be racing indoors in February and stuff. We try and do one session a week, which is more like strength based, which is like maybe a longer tempo or longer reps. And usually that's on like the road or on the trails. And then the other session might be on the track to introduce the body into that. And then each week we'll move more towards the track and like faster stuff, kind of shorter reps, just while we're getting ready to taper for races and not exactly peaking, but you're kind of trying to get more towards the specific speed stuff. Um, And then we just do like easy runs around those two sessions, basically. When you're at altitude, then how long would you spend in a training camp there each time? Usually four to probably four to six weeks. But usually we do four. This time we're a little bit longer just because travel and COVID and races have been kind of moving around and like things have been changing. So originally we were supposed to be here for four to five, but now it's going to be more five to six just because the racing opportunities have changed. So to go back to the very beginning, where, where did you start in running? And I suppose, who were your influences growing up and what does it take to get to where you are now at the moment? So I started at a fairly young age down in Greystones Athletic Club. I was about seven. And basically, you have, you know, Pion, my brother from way back. Uh, he was, he kind of went down to the club first as like a five, six year old because he was like a really energetic child. And he, my mom was just trying to get him into some clubs so that he would kind of take his energy out and doing the sports rather than in the house. So the only club that would take him at a younger age was the athletics club. So he started that. And then I kind of was just sent down like a year or two after that to start in the club and then enjoyed it. I was obviously doing like a lot of other sports at the same time. Like I think I was doing like the GA sports and swimming and I did gymnastics for a little bit. But then after a while, like I just started focusing on football and then Gaelic football and athletics. That was uh, probably until my mid-teens. And then I started focusing just on the athletics. Started at Greystones Athletic Club and then we moved house up to Dublin. So moved to Dundrum, South Dublin, which was great because they were like a really strong athletic club. And the coach that kind of coached me throughout there, Donald Hennigan, was like a big influence on me just because like he's a great guy. And he was uh, really good with like developing the younger athletes into good juniors. And we had a great group of females all in their like teens that we were all really good friends and then we like were doing really well as a team as well in cross country and everything that was definitely one of my influences and Pion my brother would have been another because he was also very into the sport and he's still like very supportive and he knows a lot about the sport so it's good to have someone like him in my corner and then family is like a big support and influence they've always been very good at like understanding like the lifestyle and the sacrifices and everything and they've always come to different countries to support me in competitions and then like Clash Isagon was a great support too because they actually had like a cross-country team and they although they were very focused on the GAA they also were very supportive of the cross-country and track teams and we did really well for Clash Isagon so that kind of 
developed that sport there and they recognized that we were doing well and everything but um yeah there's a lot of influences like even now like my current coach and my college coach like every it's all part of the journey I feel like I had was very fortunate to have a lot of like role models and just a good support system through up the ranks and then where you are now then are you 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 are officially under a professional contract is that correct yeah so I'm under a professional contract with New Balance it's nice too that we have the New Balance group because we get like a lot of support from them they are obviously a huge company especially in the US but they are currently building an indoor track in Boston that we'll get to use like multiple times a week so once that is finished like we won't have to worry about track access in the winter and because right now like we usually like have to do our indoor sessions back in Boston in like at Harvard or another indoor track or we have to go to the outdoor tracks and the weathers are fairly brutal in Boston so it'll be really nice to have like the locker rooms and the track and hopefully like a little lifting gym area and it'll just make a big difference so it's like those things that are great and then they like support us in all our like massage and our like physio stuff too which is great the gray area that a lot of people that i worked with before kind of have is the 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 changeover between secondary school and college so to get to a college which is where obviously you were in villanova in uh, philadelphia was it yeah, just outside of Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah, so to get to where you were from school to that to that, and then to get from Villanova to the prof- to the professional contract, how does that work? How did that work for you specifically? Yeah, so it is kind of like a gray area, definitely, I would agree. Thankfully, like for the secondary school to college jump, if you are decent and you do want to go to the US, I feel like the relationship between coaches, recruiting, and athletes reaching out to schools and coaches over in the US, it's a little bit easier than it is for the the college to pro mm. transition. And thankfully, like the recruiting process in college, like these coaches want kids that are really talented, but they do like getting international athletes because they know that that's also beneficial because there's only a certain amount of US kids, you know, in the in high school. So if you don't get some of them, you might have to go look at different like outside the US. For me, I kind of got a lot of offers from different colleges and universities in the US and I wasn't really sure at first if I wanted to go I was kind of just focusing on my last year and leaving cert and everything and like also still training pretty much full-time uh, on top of the leaving cert and I was still competing fairly um, intensely so I didn't really like consider it until probably the last few months of my leaving cert and I actually visited Villanova and that was the only one I visited because I thought the connection between the Irish athletes that had gone there before mm. and the college was really strong and it was really cool tradition and culture that like obviously Ronnie Delaney had been there, Eamon Coughlin, Sonia Sullivan, Marcus Sullivan. So there was that connection that made it easy for me to have that contact with them. And then when I went, I was just like, oh, this is incredible. Like all the facilities and everyone was really nice. And I just thought it would be really good uh, fit for me, especially like to challenge myself and take it to the next step. So I kind of had a pretty smooth transition, but I know some kids like have to reach out themselves or they have to like, you know, reach out to 20, 30, schools and then they might only get response from like two or something mm-hmm. but uh it's so different than the irish system because then there's not like really like scholarships and such in the irish system but in the u.s like you can go over and like have everything just sorted for you so i personally think it's a great system to go over and like try it out at least for like a year 
I know a lot of people that obviously it's not for them and they come home but think at least a year give it a go and then like you'll know if you don't want to do it because you're homesick or you you'll know like oh like oh I was homesick for a bit but I actually really like it now you know so it's Mm. interesting to see how different people decide how to go and where to go so I want to touch back on what you said about the the leaving certain balance and that out with training for anyone that may be listening to this that is going through an exam period regardless of whether it's the leaving cert or whatever have you how did you balance out both training at a obviously really high intensity and your schoolwork or your college work and you know just general advice for people how would you recommend balancing that out yeah I mean I think it's it really depends person by person because for me I got my socialization through my school and the sport so I didn't have to worry about trying to be social on the weekends at all and like there's three things a social life sport or school and you can be good at two and you have to only choose two but for me it was kind of like you already get to be social when you're in secondary school and you get to be social probably when you're in a club so I kind of got that from both of those so I wasn't too worried about like going out at the weekends or anything so for me it was I didn't feel like I was missing out on any of that stuff but it is like kind of like a lot of pressure because both things are really intense the leave insert and there's only a certain amount of hours in the day so I think time management is huge especially at that age like you are in school for a long time and then you kind of come home you have to eat and then I you have to do a little bit of homework and then you have to go to practice or training and then you have to come back and do more homework and then you have to worry about getting sleep as well so I think time management is like a huge thing and once you can nail that down then it, it makes a huge difference to your kind of lifestyle and how productive you are so how long after the leaving cert results did you actually move across to Villanova then so I'm trying to remember if I was even in the country when I got my results <laughs> I think I was, but I think it was only like a week or two after that, like, because I started college probably like around the 20th, I think it was the 18th or 19th of August. So you probably only get the results like a week or two before that. So yeah, I like moved over really quickly after that. But I'd only really decided after my leave and cert exams had finished that I re- like I actually committed to, okay, I'm going to go. Because I kind of just wanted to get that out of the way um, before making a verbal commitment. So yeah, it was kind of all happened very quickly because I went on a visit to Villanova the end of April, beginning of May, about a month and a half later, did my leave and cert. Two months later, I was in the US. So it all happened really quickly. But I was busy, of course, the whole time was when I was competing too. So after the, you finished the four-year degree, that's when I first met you, actually. I think you came, you came back that summer straight after you finished your last year. I think you were over here for a couple of weeks at best. We obviously met in Irish Town, where I, was, where I was working at the time. You then were, at the time, you were looking for the the pro contract. Would that be right in saying? Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of a tricky transition for me, at least, because I did really well my last year at Villanova. I was like... Throughout the whole time, I was multiple multiple All-American, which is like top eight in the whole NCAA, like the whole country. Indoors in the 800 in 2018, I was second in the 800. So that was like huge. And then outdoors, I was fourth, which is also huge. So I was kind of thought I'd set myself up well, which I would have if I was a, a U.S. citizen. But the fact that I was a foreigner kind of made it a little bit more tricky because I wanted to stay in the US and kind of continue the professional side of things in the US because I you know there's a lot of groups here and the sport is a little bit bigger I think than back home in Ireland and I, I want to stay there but a lot of the groups and the companies they only really want to focus on investing in US athletes 
So that makes it tough. Like there's certain groups that don't even have foreigners in their groups, which is a little harsh, but at the same time, you kind of see where they're coming from if they want to, you know, invest in uh, US athletes. But because of that, it took me a long time to actually find a group. So I came home for the summer and then I decided to come back the US in that like September October and train in around Villanova area and I was just kind of training away but I was also visiting some groups and I had signed with an agent that summer in 2018 so he was trying to like get me visits to groups and see if we could like figure out some contract with anything but I didn't really feel like the the few groups I actually spoke to or kind of visited the fit wasn't great or it didn't work out with the contract like maybe the company was like oh we can't like actually give you money or give you a contract but maybe the coach was like oh we actually really wish you could join the group so it was kind of like a few rejections or just like everything falling through a few times which was disappointing but I came home for Christmas then and then I decided to go back to the U.S. after Christmas to do some indoor races and I was you know struggling at, at that time because I was training alone and it was just kind of a bit grim with trying to stay positive on training alone is pretty difficult so I felt like I, the support system was kind of missing in terms of a group so I went and did some indoor races and funnily enough I actually was in Boston University had just finished doing a race and I was cooling down and I met one of my old rivals in the hallway we she was a bit older than me kind of we stopped to talk to each other because she went to Georgetown which was kind of the rival school to Villanova so we mm. would have competed against each other a lot in college we just talked to talk to each other like oh how are you getting on how are you getting on and I told her oh I'm looking to get into a professional group and she said to me oh you should reach out to my dad and I said oh really like that would be great and she was like yeah because she was she's coached by her dad and she's her name is Katrina Coogan and she's now one of my best friends and in this group with me so that was a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel and I was like oh well I've, I've reached out to so many coaches now may as well reach out to another one and I kind of reached out to him and he was like yeah yeah you can come visit us and see if it's a good fit and then the rest worked out from there and I came over and started training with them and she was like kind of my savior because <laughs> she kind of created the opportunity for me to get in contact with him and now it's like I've been with the group almost two years and a really good fit and best friends with all the girls so it's great that's crazy to think that a former kind of rival going up through college would have been your your kind of your gate your gateway to getting into where you are now that's crazy yeah I think that's the good thing about the sport too like it's so competitive and when you're running against people on a track you really want to beat them and you're really competitive but then off the track everyone's friends and yeah. friendly at least you know yeah. so it's like a because we're all kind of doing the same thing and have the same goals. So we have this understanding with each other. A few months after starting training with them, I finally figured out a contract and signed the contract. I suppose for me, you're kind of I'm a bit uneducated when it comes to this aspect of things. But what was the difference between training in New Balance in the US in comparison to the New Balance team over in? Is it Manchester have a team over there? So obviously location being a big one, but what was the other factors? Like, was there any reason why you couldn't have gone over to Manchester to make it more convenient for yourself? Yeah, so that was actually one of my, one thing that I was considering doing. I was considering like reaching out to uh, Steve Vernon and that group because obviously I knew Kira who was there and they had a few other good women, but I kind of had just reached out to Mark Coogan and New Balance Boston. So I was like, I'll see if this works out. And then if not, I'll try and contact them. And I think just one thing was like, 
I was kind of used to the US style of things at the time after coming out of college. And I just thought that there was a lot of opportunity over here. So that was kind of why I kind of reached out to a lot of groups there first. But I think that in the back of my mind, I was definitely considering that as another option. For anyone that obviously doesn't know Schaefer, if you don't, shame on you. Um, but the <laughs> obviously you've kind of competed at extremely high levels of athletics, both at a young age and even now. So Every any any Joe Soap who's, who's listening to this who doesn't have a notion about athletics, the World Championship in 2017, I believe you were in. You were competing in the 800 meters in that. How did that go for you? So I still had when I was competing at that, I still had a year of college left, so I was very young and I was like gaining a lot of experience, but I was still a little inexperienced. And when I got that call up, I like I actually really really wanted to like compete there and I was really excited when I did but the competition itself and worlds didn't go that well just because it had been such a long season because when you're in the NCAA system you're pretty much on the go from for outdoor track you're probably on the go from like April to June but then if you want to do a European season and worlds then you're going till August and that's a long time to be that's a very long yeah it's a long time to be training but it's also a long time to be fit so it was definitely like I think I had kind of been past my peak in terms of competition and therefore it was good to like get the experience but I was a little bit disappointed with uh, how it went I also kind of like rolled my ankle weirdly in that race it was definitely huge just because it was in the Olympic Stadium from London so that was cool and like it was kind of surreal just walking out into that and kind of felt like you're in a video game you know what was the experience like looking around at all the other athletes there as well besides yourself yeah I mean I think I was trying to focus on myself and I I try not get too caught caught up with like who's in the race or anything because at the end of the day you can't really control that you just got to focus on your own race but it's definitely like you know the real deal you're at like the highest level like the pinnacle of the sport some people say the world champs is actually bigger than olympics because it's only track and field that was like a great experience I definitely wish I had done a little bit better at the, the competition itself so I uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those things you look back on. Now, obviously, I never got to anything international myself. So, as far as experience is concerned, you know a hell of a lot more about that than I do. But experience is experience, nonetheless. And I definitely feel like if you don't learn from the experience, that's where you're making a mistake as an athlete, regardless of whatever level you're at. So, for you now, the goal is to get the Olympics in Tokyo. Yeah, so it's been a weird year, obviously, with COVID and that pushback. Competitions not being very, like, you know, certain because we, a lot of them have gotten either postponed or cancelled or people are tr- people are trying very hard to, like, have them pop up. Everyone's trying to do every race, you know, so it's also hard to get into these races. There's, like, a ranking point system for the Olympics this time around, which is kind of interesting because it makes things a little more complicated. Not only do you have to run fast, but you have to, like, place high and you have to do races that are kind of ranked well so depending on which race you do it could be a better ranking than a race someone else does or vice versa so you have to kind of take that into account and it's kind of makes it a little bit of a headache so you have to be tactical which which races you choose but now it's like there's not that many races i know it's getting better uh way better than last summer but it's still kind of working itself out in terms of opportunities to race so it'll be interesting to see how many races kind of come out of the world work and who gets the opportunity to race which races but at the end of the day if you run fast you run fast it's gonna get you there so the world championships under your belt for one is just amazing experience how old were you doing that that would have been 2017. Mm. Yeah, so I was probably, God, I can't even do that now. That, <laughs> that was 
four, almost four years ago. I would have been about 22, I'd say mm. 21, 22. Brilliant. And then yeah. obviously now, I mean, if you got the Olympics as well, that's going to be massive, massive story to tell people that you're an Olympian at one stage. So for me, I can only wish yeah. you the best of luck with that as well. But yeah, to, fingers crossed. Yeah, well, we all have fingers crossed over here for you where, you know, back in your home country. To go on to, and this is a story actually I'm really looking forward to hearing because I've read about this, I know about this, but I want the listeners to know about this. Pen Relays, when you won the infamous triple. Can you tell the listeners all about that? Yeah, so Pen Relays is like, it's a big competition actually in Philadelphia, so not too, only about 20, 25 minutes from Villanova. Basically, three to four days of competition that is majority relays. There are some like individual races, but it's a big deal for colleges and also I don't know what you'd call them, maybe exhibition races like the USA versus the world or Jamaica and the USA always do like big relays against each other in the sprints and stuff. So it's I think there's been like 125 pen relays. So it's been going on since like I think yeah, the late 1800s. So that's like it's a big historical event and it's a big deal for Villanova because they've done well at it so many times in the past. And you walk into Villanova and you see all the pen relay wheels, which is the wheel that you get at the end, which is like the trophy. So we always kind of thought that was like a huge competition for us just to start off the track season and kind of set us up for a good track season. But also it's just like there's so much history and culture to it so that we would always like feel like we needed to win there. That was my third year at Villanova, which was my junior year. And we had been told that we were going to do all three relays. Me and two of my teammates were going to be on all three of them which is a lot to handle. I mean, they're they're on separate days, but it's three days in a row of like intense competition. There was a lot of adrenaline and we uh, thankfully got to win all three of them. And it's kind of crazy because we were on such a high after that. It's like good competition too. It's not like you're just racing against small schools like Stanford, Georgetown, like all these huge schools, like usually Oregon show up and they're all like powerhouses for track and field. Somehow we always just get our stuff together and like can kind of win there because it's so such a big deal for Villanova historically and culturally so definitely was a big kind of highlight of my career because to win three in a row in one year is kind of absurd and also one of my teammates she got that was meant she had the most wheels ever at Penn Relays oh wow after right that. so yeah and like with the relays then just to, to break them down what are what were the three relays that you that you uh that you ran in yeah, so the first day we do the distance medley relay, which is four legs. The first one is 1,200 meters, so that's three laps of the track. The second leg is 400 meters, which is one lap. And then the third leg is 800, which is two laps. And then the last leg is a mile, so it's four laps. So that's the first day. The next day is four by 1,500 meters, so it's four legs of almost a mile. And then the third day is the four by 800 meters. So everyone does the same distance again. When I was reading that it was three races over three days, I remember when I was going back, going back to my indoor uh, competing days, I remember doing you know, two races in one day or else depending on the weekend and the structure of the races, it'll be two races in two days. By the second race, either way, I was personally just gassed out. But like for you, how, what was the recovery like in between each of those days? get back to the hotel which was only like a usually like a five ten minute walk away and then we'd just get food and 
try and just go to bed straight away sometimes we'd get like a little bit of treatment in terms of massage or something we'd focus on one day at a time and then just get back and get back to bed because usually the races weren't until the evening or afternoon at least so you could kind of chill for the next morning and then get in the zone what does a normal training week look like for you at the moment so we always work off of like two hard sessions a week or workouts as we call them they're usually tuesday friday Monday, Thursday are usually easy days. So we'll do like an hour of running in the morning and then maybe 20 minutes to 30 minutes uh, jog in the evening. And then, as I said, Tuesday, Friday is a hard session, usually in the morning. And then we might get out again for 20 minutes to 30 minutes, shake out, easy jog in the evening. And then Wednesday, just run once. We'll run like anywhere from eight to 10 miles, just one longer run. Sunday is our long run, which is usually like for me, it'd be 90 minutes. So usually 12, 13 miles. But some of the girls would do like 15, 16. And then Saturday is either our rest day completely off, just easy 30 minutes. So Saturday is kind of our down day. And we'll probably like, I usually take every second to third Saturday completely off then just run like 30 minutes easy otherwise then we usually try and like do a little bit of a lift on Tuesday Friday as well after our hard sessions nothing crazy just mostly like kind of uh, movement work mobility and uh, obviously at the moment it's been difficult with gym access but we usually try and get in and just do like very basic movements and just keep the like body moving in the right ways would your knowledge of the gym be kind of up to scratch as far as exercise names and everything are concerned yeah, yeah, for the most part. What kind of stuff would you be doing then, say, on a gym day? Now, the reason why I'm asking you this is because there's a, again, having worked with the younger athletes, there's this there's this um, kind of misconception that you actually you have to completely burn yourself out in the gym in order to actually get some sort of progress or a- adaptation. Meanwhile, your main focus should be on the running. So at the end of the day, to get better at your sport, you need to run more. With the gym, in your experience, what kind of exercises have you done and... Also, I suppose if you had to to label it on a scale of one to 10, so one being relatively easy, 10 being extreme, what would be the maximum intensity that you would go at with those gym sessions on average? Yeah, so we try and use the gym more for injury prevention. So we don't lift heavy at all. We just, we will, because we're kind of tired when we do it, that which is a good thing, obviously, because you're recover, you're trying to like teach your body to recover and also like kind of have an intense activity after being tired but uh we won't go very hard at all like we'll maybe have like a six seven out of ten mostly at at the most probably in terms of intensity but we also do a lot of like body weight stuff to warm up and then we'll do maybe some front squats on one day and deadlifts like hex bar deadlifts uh another day and then depending on which athlete because like obviously we all have our different weaknesses it'll be changed to kind of um, account for those weaknesses so for me like I have some like shoulder um, exercises that I do just because I have one of my shoulders wings out a little bit so in terms of strengthening that like kind of right shoulder blade area some uh, kind of box step up stuff like that so nothing like very intense like push-ups pull-ups uh lunging with weights stuff like that um sometimes we'll do like bench press uh but no, like as i said we don't really lift very heavily like yeah you wouldn't need at to all. yeah yeah absolutely yeah. what would be the what would have been the worst session that you would have ever done uh on the track like, yeah yeah let's go track yeah because that's where it really hurts too um, <laughs> So there's been a lot of sessions that have been hard, but if it's specifically an 800 meter session, like 
One one that we did, me and one of my teammates did this probably, or I think it was New Year's Day. So that was only about a month ago, but it didn't really sound that difficult on paper. And <laughs> yeah, I have a story it, for you as well that goes along the same lines. Yeah, and we had to do a hard 600 at like 130 pace, fairly more, like 800 pace really, which is hard in itself, but it wasn't that bad. And then afterwards, we had to do eight by 300 in uh, 47, 48. Oh. And those, the, the 600 was fine, but the 300s, they were pure like death. It wasn't even that bad for the first 200 meters, but then the last 100 meters of each rep, it was just like swimming because your body had built up all that lactic from the, the hard six that it was then still trying to like clear it. And I think that was just maybe not the hardest session, but the one most recently that I can think of that kind of put me in a bit of a hurt locker so yeah that I can actually I have I have a similar experience myself starting off the 600 and like that exactly as you said when you get the training program from the coach for that particular week the, my coach at the time Paul Fleming fantastic coach and this particular weekend when we were meant to go up in the, the track in Tala which is in South Dublin the session on paper was 600 meters you take a five minute recovery and then you do a 200 meter rep, just one. And then you take a 10 minute recovery and then you do them again. Just, you know, so two, two rounds, that's all it is. Two sets. That is the worst session I have ever done. Long distance winter training included. That was the one session where like that, the lactic acid is just building up so much that by the time that you try and belt, belt out a 200 meter rep as hard as you can after doing a whole 600 meter rep at 800 meter pace, it is brutal. The information that you gave there, Shifra, was absolutely amazing. Um, I But to finish up each episode then, I'd like to ask the listeners on Instagram every week, do you have any questions for my, for my guests? So for this week, the first question I have for you is, what does a typical week of eating look like for you? Yeah, so obviously nutrition is like extremely important. For me, I try and not get too nitty gritty about it. I don't like want to be counting my calories or kind of getting too intense about it but I would eat three really good meals a day and sometimes I'd have like two lunches just because depending on when we'd finish training in the morning we might have to eat like obviously you want to eat within 30 to 40 minutes so we would eat something immediately and if that's like early if that's like 11 30 or 12 then I'd probably eat again at like three before I head out for another run usually like I'll eat porridge in the morning with some like berries and stuff like that and dinner really just depends like when we're at altitude it's great because everyone takes a turn at like making a good dinner and we actually eat really well in terms of like we have like a new meal every day we never really like repeat our meals we just try and get like you know a good carb good protein at least one or two veggies I really like fish so I, I try and eat like fish at least once a week I would I like to try for two because I think like I get sick of chicken very easily. I try and like get like at least like salmon or something once a week and then not too much red meat, but like, you know, still get some red meat as well. And uh, I think it's important to eat something, whether it's like a bar or a protein shake or a banana within like 20, 30 minutes after a session is like a big one. And then like keep uh, the fluids like up, try and keep like electrolytes in the car like we'll buy like a pack of I don't know if you know noon hydration tablets and you just like pop it into your drink and it's like a lot of electrolytes which is great so we just kind of do those things like but I wouldn't say like there's a specific you know I eat 
this amount of this, this amount of that, like every week. Yeah, I just try and like eat like a good amount to feel good for the next day. And I think the key word as well to be is, is fueling. If someone was to go down a similar enough route to you, what would you recommend doing to get to where you are now in a professional role? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to actually enjoy training and like what you're doing and like if that's actually what you want to do because a lot of people think that what they're doing is what they want to do and then they realize like it wasn't worth it but I think it's important to actually remain like focused but also have that kind of love and keep that going and then like always have connections because even if you don't think that someone might be helpful in the future like usually like even with my story I wouldn't have thought Katrina was like gonna be the one that was my gateway to professional career but like that is something that I'm very thankful for and it's kind of just like a small connection that you could kind of change your path completely so like try and keep good relationships with people like your competitors or your rivals all those um yeah I think just like kind of yeah be positive and keep those connections is the biggest one I'd say Super. And obviously, if you have a talent for the sport, it's it's also very important, I imagine, to apply the hard work into it. So it's a lethal combination. You're obviously an extremely good example of that. And in all, in all credit to you. Um, okay. And then the last question actually is from me. And uh, can you explain to me what this picture I saw on Instagram was about you sitting on a table playing a game? And as opposed to sitting down on a chair, you were standing on the table? What's the, What was that about? Was that that was recently? Was it? That was a few I weeks ago, believe so. Probably within the last couple of weeks, I imagine. But yeah, yeah. When we're at altitude camp, our coach he, in the past, he has had like a lot of jigsaws, and then he's used he used to work on jigsaws, and he would kind of give us a hard time and say that we had to help him with one with jigsaws. So he, he used to have this one of the Grand Canyon, which was impossible because obviously <laughs> the Grand Canyon is just like all God. orange, you know. So so we actually. One of the girls, Millie's mom, sent us a jigsaw and she hate, apparently Millie hates jigsaw. So she's like, I don't know why my mom sent me a jigsaw when she knows I don't like them. But uh, a few of us like like doing them because they just pass the time and it's like something mindless to be doing. So we had been doing this jigsaw for probably like a week or two. For some reason, like the the height of the table was kind of low where it was a little uncomfortable to sit kneel on the ground and like kind of look over it but it was also more uncomfortable to stand up and look over it so I just got up on the table on, on my hunkers and it was more comfortable to actually work on it that way <laughs> so I was kind of in a, in a weird kind of squat on the table and then the others kind of started like they just thought it was hilarious but at the same time then they were doing it too and then we just took a picture of uh with our coach doing it as well it was just like a bit of crack like uh it's a weird way to be doing the jigsaw but uh i was more comfortable than the other yeah <laughs> if it works for you it works for you yeah. brilliant she for listen i just want to say again i'm Massive thank you again for hopping on to the episode today. I mean, even for me, as you know, previously competing in the 800 meters and whatnot, that was, you know, to listen to where you, where you are now and to get a bit of insight and knowledge from you, especially at a really high level is for me, it's fascinating. And I'm sure there's a bunch of my, my runner friends, uh, and I'm sure people will start quoting the in-betweeners friends into this part, but <laughs> there's a, a, there's a bunch of my mates now who are still competing and I know that they'll find this information very, very useful. So thank you so much for giving up some of your time and your extremely busy schedule, uh, for hopping on today. Thanks, man. Yeah, I really appreciate the chance to t- chat and kind of educate people on Things I want to learn about. On your marks. Set.
And that wraps up episode four of the LB Performance Podcast. Thank you to you, the listener, for coming this far, if you have. And thank you to Shifra for hopping onto the podcast and offering all that knowledge and insight into how to become a professional athlete. If indeed you find yourself in a similar position being a young athlete, whether you're in secondary school, you're in college, or you've just finished college and you're looking to take that next step onto the professional scene, I know Shifra is welcoming contact. Her Instagram name is Shifra underscore CB. Indeed, give her a follow anyway. Fire her a quick question if you have one. She sets an extremely good example and she's a very good role model to anyone and goes to show that there is no such thing as overnight success, but it does take hard work, consistent effort, mix that in with a little bit of talent and it becomes a dangerous mix. But as well, as the saying goes, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. On next week's episode, I'll be taking a step back away from sports and athletes and I'll be speaking to a business owner. All will be revealed during the week. Keep your eye out on my Instagram page. Performance underscore LB is my username on Instagram if you want to go ahead and find me. Ari will provide you the rest of the contact details. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And I'll chat to you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye. If you want to talk to my daddy, go on email and Instagram. His Instagram is lbbeformance and his email is coach at lbbeformance.ie. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.